Welcome to How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships from True Story FM. Today, your toaster's on fire. Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm Seth Nelson. As always, I'm here with my good friend, Pete Wright. What does it mean to feel safe? Do you have bigger locks on your doors? guards at your office? What does it really mean to feel comfortable in your own skin wherever you are? Sabrina Oso is the founder and CEO of Oso Safe. Feel safe where you live, work, and play. She is a TEDx speaker, real estate agent, and consultant in promoting safety and preventing violence in the workplace, schools, and in places of residence. And she joins us today to share her wisdom when it comes to safety and high-conflict divorces. Sabrina, welcome to The Toaster. Thank you so much for having me. This is so great. We greatly appreciate the opportunity. Well, it's great to have you here. It's it's actually very timely. And I I, I don't know, uh, Seth, if you want to talk a little bit about this. Speaking of safety in the divorce process, you just had a guard associated with you not long ago, uh, it, which it makes this whole topic very resonant for us. I did. I recently had a case, unfortunately, where the opposing party suffers uh, from mental illness and um, was Baker acted, and that's in Florida, where if you are going to be a danger to yourself or others, the state can hold you for up to 72 hours uh, involuntarily, and then you're allowed to stay voluntarily if you want. So there's some obviously mental issues going on there, where uh, my life and my client's life were threatened. When that was happening, since I didn't know when this person might have been released, uh, we had armed security at the office and then on my person for uh, basically 24 seven. So we take it seriously. Um, we want to make sure that we're safe, that our clients are safe, that our clients' kids are safe. And when I mean safe, I mean to themselves and others. Um, so it's a serious issue. Uh, Pete and I like to crack jokes, so we'll try to be appropriate and not make a light of the subject. Um, but it's a serious subject and, um, with access to weapons that people have, you, you really got to think this stuff through. And that's why we're so pleased to have Sabrina on the show um, to talk about how do you know if you're a victim? How do you know if a friend of yours is a victim? How do you know if you're the abuser or what to look for in abusers? How do you help? There's all these questions. And so we're glad to have you on the show. Thank you so much. And I'm glad you're okay. Uh, I, I'm glad you and your client are okay. And, uh, you could prepare all you want, but uh, there are times where you just can't prepare and you just have to wing it, so to speak, and, uh, and, and, and use your best, best judgment, which just sounds like you did. So I'm glad for that. Oh, thanks. Well, it, it gets to, you know, the, the topic of our show, our discussion today. We, we do want to talk about, uh, you know, you as, as you're buried in the statistics, right? Of, of the experience of violence at home work and, and at home and work. And, and we want to talk a little bit about, uh, the landscape of, of violence in and around the divorce process. Is that, is, is that something you, uh, see, uh, yourself? Is that something you, you talk about in your training? Yes, uh, definitely. Well, there is a statistic that states uh, when victims decide to leave, there's a 75% chance that they will be killed. This is in violent uh, relationships. Violent so, relationships, okay. Right, right, violent relationships. So it's you're at the highest risk. Um, now, leaving a lot of the time 
means uh, divorce, right? You're, you introduce divorce to your significant other. You're, you're saying, look, I, I want a separation. So it is the uh, most sensitive part. However, I, I want to say, if you're, when you're in a relationship, uh, if you're violent, the divorce doesn't really, if you're violent, you're going to be violent, divorced or not, I want to say. I used to think, I used to not think that. Uh, I am a survivor of violence. My father beat my mother on a regular basis. They stayed married until my father's death. And he passed away five years ago in November. So divorce, I I think they would still be violent. Um, And I'm not, and I would, I would have preferred that they got divorced, uh, believe me. So I'm not saying don't get divorced. It's like the landscape for violence is already set for you if you're in a violent relationship. Whether you're the, the divorce, the legal separation doesn't mean that's not going to come back in the form of some sort of retribution, potentially. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Because I know. I always say on that, Sabrina, if it's not one thing, it's another. Right. If it's not the divorce, it's because you didn't put the salt away. Right. Right. Exactly. Triggers. Triggers are everywhere. Yes. Yes. Uh, Yeah. And and like I said, I, I used to think, yeah, you know, why doesn't why don't my parents just get divorced? And but I, I see now, uh, especially in the work that I do, um, if you're a violent person, you're going to be violent, divorced, not divorced, separated, not separated, uh, abuse. Um, yeah. So so I like I like what you said, the landscape. Yeah, it's like a big spectrum. You know, since we're specifically you're speaking of your your mother and father, uh, it sounds like physical abuse. But we should we should at least sort of lay the groundwork on on what constitutes abuse in in the relationship that may be leading you toward a divorce. If you know, it's I feel like it's it's not quite one of those questions like, you know, if you look around the room and you can't tell who the victim is, it's probably you. But maybe it is. uh, And we should we should at least talk about that. One out of three women will be beaten or raped in her lifetime. One out of five adolescent girls is abused by her boyfriend. One out of three young people will be in an abusive relationship. Uh, One out of seven men is abused. By the end of today, four women will be killed by their abusive partners, and most of them will be killed after they leave their abusers. 15 million children witness violence in their own homes each and every year. Those are just the ones that we know about. Those are just the ones in the U.S. About 324,000 pregnant women go into the emergency room, not for pregnant-related issues, but for abuse-related injuries. Those statistics are just daunting to me. So I want to take a step back from that. Sure. And just right up front, let people know that if they're in a, an abusive relationship, it's not your fault. Right. It is not your fault. The person who is doing the abusing is at fault. And from my experience with dealing with this issue in the legal system, if I had to have a common denominator of a personality type is I always have found that 
these people have extremely low self-esteem. Is that a fair statement? Yes. And I would say uh, they could pretend that they have a lot of self-esteem also. Like, uh, I'm important. There's no one better than me. I'm always right. Do as I say. Uh, I, I would add to that that it's it's about possession. It's about control. It's about domination. It's about manipulation. The gaslighting. It's never their fault. Yeah. It's always your fault. Right. You know, I told you to do it this way a million times. And even though they've changed their mind on how they want something done, it doesn't matter. In their mind, right. they're, they're just going right. to make you the one. If you loved me, you wouldn't make me do the things I have to do to you. Right. That's a big one. And I'm glad you said that. Yes, you made me do this to you. Yeah. It's your fault that you didn't listen to me and that I punched you, I hit you, I slapped you, I threatened you, I humiliated you, all of that. So, and there are plenty of warning signs. Like you're going out with somebody, you're dating someone, whatever your sexual orientation is, it doesn't matter. Whatever your age group is, it doesn't matter. Whatever your nationality, your religion, your your ethnicity, your it doesn't matter. The warning signs are pretty standard. And I like to say to people, you have to know that you deserve to be in a good relationship. You have to know that on the forefront of your mind at all times. And, and that goes back to self-esteem. You have to respect yourself enough to say, I, I deserve to be in a good relationship. I deserve a partner that I'm there for him or her and she or he is there for me. And it's a partnership. It's not a domination. It's not you do as I say. It's not I control everything. No, there are always, always warning signs. And a a lot of them in the beginning are subtle. So you think you may think, oh, this guy or this woman that I'm going out with, they bought me presents. They always compliment me. We go out to dinner and I never pay. He or she always pays. And that's fine. You know, that's fine. However, if you have some feeling, though, that you're feeling like, I don't know, something's off or I feel like I'm being controlled or, wow, was that meant as a compliment or was that meant as, you know, I always dress the way I dress, you know, I have a lot of style, I have a lot of fashion. So what if I like to wear skirts or tight pants, or maybe a show some cleavage? Now he or she is saying, no, 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 don't wear that. I'm jealous. All of these things are warning signs. Uh, Another big warning sign is money. If they're trying to get at your money, and you just met the person, or you know, why don't we combine accounts and that way you don't have to deal with the bills anymore. And Yeah, they make it sound like it's a favor, like they're right, helping right. you out. They're just weaseling right. it in or isolating right. you from your friends. Like, oh, I like going out with my friends. Let's have a double date. No, I let's just go the two of us. And it's constantly, right? right? They, yep. it, it's, and I think the biggest thing from what you've said so far is you got to have your spidey sense up. Like when something doesn't sound right or feel right to you, 
You need to go talk to someone. You need to check on that. Don't just let it continue. I've seen it numerous times before where people are like, well, you always paid for everything. Or I tried to pay. It was no and get to a fight. Well, that's not a partnership. Right. That's someone controlling you with money. Right. Right. I, I like that you said help. We are big proponents of, of therapy at Oso Safe Huge. In fact, it's part it's part of our business model that we include in, in our certifications for properties. But there are always warning signs. I I mean if the sexes were reversed. That's a big point because that's a challenge. That's a challenge that we face in court is people have unconscious bias. We've we've had cases where the husband was being abused. And there is a bit of, I have to get over that hurdle, right? And even if you have a big guy and a small woman, you still have to get over that hurdle. Where if it was a big guy abusing a small woman, everyone just sees that picture. But when the small woman is doing the abuse, it's harder to paint that picture because physically it doesn't match, right? And so there's um, issues with that in court when you're trying to prove your case, um, which is hard to do. A lot of this comes down to he said, she said, which I stress to the court. And it's your job, your honor, to gauge the credibility. Just because two people say two different stories, obviously they're not both true. And that's your job to gauge the credibility. And it's my job to try to bring the truth out to you the way that I understand it to be. From my experience in dealing with this is that it doesn't start with a physical punch. Right. We all know that if you're out on your second date and the guy leans over and smacks you, hits you in the face, breaks your nose, you're out. You're leaving. Right, right. So it's emotional abuse first. It's the gaslighting. It's secluding you. It's getting you away from your friends, controlling your money, then figuring out ways to control you where if you make mad, maybe they ghost you for a little bit because they know that gets under your skin. They will find your buttons. Right. Mm -hmm. And you've got to have your guard up for that. So it's not, there's a lot of, from my understanding and all the work I've done with this, there's a lot of different characteristics but they'll use them differently based upon the victim that they're going after. They do know what they're doing. It's definitely calculated in, in a lot of ways. And it's a gaslighting, manipulative uh, tactic that abusers will do, will, will, will use to control, you know, to, to kind of rope you in, rope you in little by little. Hey, Pete, it's back to school and it's stressful. And listen, we're talking about serious topic today with violence and abusers, and it can start with alcohol. So we're going back to school, getting back into routine. It can be stressful. We've already talked about you got to get the school closed. You got to get all the supply list. You got to get the carpool sorted. You got to get to work on time. It's a stressful time. And that's one of the main reasons why we like people to think about using Soberlink. If they're struggling with alcoholism or being accused of struggling with alcoholism and you want to prove your sobriety. 
Soberlink, it, it's a remote alcohol monitoring technology. It's designed to help prove sobriety in custody cases. What is it? It's a little device. It's a, a breathalyzer that you keep with you, and it has facial recognition included. So every time you blow into it, it's going to take a little picture to, of you to make sure that it's really you, allowing you to receive real-time updates from monitored co-parents at any time, anywhere, allowing for swift intervention for improved child safety. We use it here at the firm, and I know they've helped hundreds of thousands of people document their sobriety in real time for peace of mind for themselves, for their kids, and even for the other party, and also for the court. So you can just show it to them and say, look, I am focused on the kids. I'm not drinking. Soberlink is currently offering a free back-to-school and divorce packet with questions and answers from top divorce attorneys, back-to-school checklists, communication tips, and more. Just go to soberlink.com slash toaster. It's easy to understand, I think, hey, this is what people do when they're the abuser. Let's look at the person being abused because I know a lot of our listeners are like, how did I get into this place? Like, I know I'm being abused. What, what is it about me? And I'm not saying this is a negative. What I'm trying to say is, what is going on with me that I'm allowing this to happen? And it's not that it's your fault, but why am I staying in this relationship? How do I get out of this relationship? What do I need to work on in myself to be strong enough to leave this abuser? So if you're listening, you're, you're not sure what's going on you feel like, mm, am I being abused now? Or you know that you are. How can they kind of identify like, oh shit, I am the victim here. We go over at Oso Safe in, in our various workshops, seminars, and speaking engagements, 50 reasons why victims don't leave and what constitutes a victim. So the number one reason would be money right? So money. So if your abuser is the breadwinner in your household, it makes it difficult to leave, to just get up and leave. Uh, religion can come into play. Family, you stay there for the kids. Uh, you called the police and the police blamed you, the victim. You're a public figure. And if this goes out, what are people going to think of me? Uh, if you have a handicap, if you're just living in fear all the time. Yeah. Well, I, you know, part of this, I, I, I don't want to bring this all the way back to gaslighting, but one of the things that you, that you said, and I think Seth, that you sort of started to illuminate for me is that the, uh, the relationships where the abused party doesn't always know that they're in an abusive relationship because they've been in that relationship for so long. We've had stories of, um, you know, gosh, you know, I'm, I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't want to do your laundry anymore. I need you to do your laundry. Well, I hope I remember to feed you and the kids. So maybe you do want to do my laundry still. Like we, when you hear things like that you know, over the course of people, you know, coming in and around this podcast, like you start to wonder how often people don't recognize because of habituation that they are being abused and taken advantage of and, um, you know, what it looks like and, and what that influence has on their kids. One of the things that you say uh, is that the responsibility of safety should not be in the hands of the victims. Well, this is 
one of those examples where it seems like that's very true, especially if the victim is unconscious. Correct. Yes. Uh, if you come from abuse, it's very easy to fall into that trap and be habituated into a an abusive relationship on your own. Like your own relationship is now abusive because you come from abuse, from violence, from chaos, from dysfunction. For example, my therapist, one of the first things that she ever told me was you go towards what you're used to, even if that used to was bad. I need to hear something from Seth, because you said some stuff in there that that makes me really question the the victim attorney relationship. How do you talk to your lawyer about this kind of relationship, about the kind of stuff that Sabrina is outlining here in a way that your lawyer is going to be on your side? and believe you? Oh, Pete, that's a great question. So not surprisingly, as we've talked about previously, what do lawyers first hear about when a client calls? All the bad shit their spouse is doing. Sure. Right. So when I hear, oh my God, Seth, you know, I'm so glad I got to talk to you. Um, this is going to be the worst case you've ever had. He is such a narcissist. I'd be retired by now if I got paid a buck for every time a client told me that, right? I would be Forbes 400. So that doesn't give me any information. I'm not telling you it's wrong. I'm not telling you that they're not a narcissist, but I hear it so much, it doesn't help me. So when you start telling me about all the bad stuff they do, do. What a lawyer will hear is, this is just like every other client. I got to figure out what the truth is. I don't know what really the truth is. So the way I try to change the conversation to get to the bottom of this in a, you know, it's a brand new client. I'm trying to form a relationship with them. I want them to trust me. I want to make sure I'm getting clear information that I'm not being lied to, that I'm getting their perspective. I'm going to have to have to question that perspective because that's what's going to happen on cross-examination. That's what's going to happen in the courtroom. It can get ugly. So what I do is I reframe questions. I'll ask you questions. How do you feel when you're at home? What is going on with you? Um, on your levels of stress? Are you feeling anxious? When do you feel anxious? When they're around, when they're not around, when they're coming? Like I'm looking for really specifics, right? Have you tried to leave this relationship before? If so, what happened? So now I'm getting them to focus on their behaviors, their emotional stances, where they are on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, through the arc of this relationship. that type of information is going to be much more helpful to me to prove their case because I'm going to take those fears and I feel like I'm always walking on eggshells. I never get to see my friends. It appears like I try to call and then something happens. So when you start with the you, what's going on with you, and you explain that to your lawyer, then it's like what feels what makes you feel that way? Why, what makes you feel the terror and the scariness? Well, because if I do X, this happens. I'm always talked down to. Give me some specific examples. And then we talk through that. But when you start with you, as opposed to they're the worst person ever, here's all the bullshit that they do. I hear that all day long. Judges hear that all day long. 
And when you go to court, like on domestic violence, is does this person have a reasonable fear of domestic violence? That all has to do with how you're feeling, and then you tie that to that person's behavior that's on the other side of that equation. And that's vitally important. Don't just call up bitching about the other person. To Sabrina's point, when when this is an escalation, right? So some people catch it earlier, some people catch it later, some people catch it when they're in the hospital, right? We've talked on the show many times like, oh, if you're trying to get a relationship, we always say domestic violence is different. This is the difference, right? Right. Some of them, these abusers, know that there's a line they can't cross. And I've had very smart, intelligent people that you would not believe that are thinking about a divorce. And they say to me, if he would only hit me, then I could leave. That would be the line, right? And I said, listen to what you just said. You're so unhappy in your marriage that you wish you were the victim of domestic violence and then it's okay to leave. It doesn't have to get that far. You're allowed to leave someone because you don't like the way they brush their teeth. (laughs) My point on that is you don't have to have a reason. If you want out, you're out. Two people to get married, only one to get divorced. But what they'll say is, well, he's a nice guy. He's a provider. He hasn't done this. And you start making excuses for why you're staying in this relationship. Sure. And when you're doing that, that should be a red flag to yourself to be like, I need to get out. And, and here's why. Uh, I, like, I like that you ask them, how do you feel when he or she comes home? How do you feel when, are you anxious? Are you, I, th- I was thinking about that right in my own house because I was always scared of my father coming home. Uh, I, I knew it's almost as if you prep yourself physically, mentally, emotionally, psychologically, to gear yourself up for, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? I know an episode is going to happen uh, in some capacity. What do I have to do? I'm sure clients, when they tell you that, it, it just draws a better picture about what's going on. And I have to say, I, I like to tell people document, uh, document the abuse in any capacity, record. It, it's very, it's, we have our cell phones and I know our abuser will take that away, will, will hurt you even more. If there's any way that you could record, because well, let me just let me just pause you here. Check your local jurisdiction. There are some criminal statutes that you're not allowed to record stuff at home. So really, you need to be careful when you're doing this because sometimes if someone does not want to be recorded, there's a right um, to privacy in your own home, even in cases of abuse. Just to be yes, clear, to be like clear. that could recording an abusive situation where you are the victim in certain states could get you in more trouble. Check your local jurisdiction. Okay. Now, I would find it hard to believe that a state would actually prosecute you for this, but it might not come into evidence. Yeah. The court might say you weren't allowed to do this. No one's going to throw you in jail for doing it, man, but I'm not allowed to look at it. Right. Right. And the other thing that happens is, and this kind of goes back to Pete, what we've talked a lot about is like, oh, if I just get to go to court and have my day in court and tell my story, they're going to agree with me. And then the next thing you know, you show the video. And though you were defending yourself, 
in your mind, maybe you did one or two things that made it appear as if you were the aggressor, the abuser, because the guy on the other side knows what they're doing. And right when the camera comes out, they bait you. So it's not always as clean cut. And I've watched a lot of these videos. So we just need to be careful with it. Sabrina, I get what you're saying. Man, if we had a clear picture of a video, that would be amazing. There's just a lot more that goes into it. And they don't always help your case. I've seen it more than once. I've objected to videos coming in from the other side. Judge overruled my objection. It came in. It helped my case. It hurt theirs. Abusers will always, um, they can only keep their poker face on for so long. And the best predictor of future violence is past violence. So I think that's a big indicator whether the he said, she said factor. Um, if, if someone has a pattern of violence, and that's the definition of abuse is a pattern of coercive behavior. If you were to say, what is the definition of abuse? It's a pattern of forceful behavior, uh, whatever that may be, verbal, physical, sexual, uh, emotional, psychological, so on and so forth, financial. And when you're the one listening to this show, this is a pattern in practice. Be, be mindful that, oh, I'm always on eggshells. Um, I'm always nervous when they come home or I feel like I can't do anything right. Uh, we have a question from a listener. Seth Nelson, can you believe it? We have a listener question. I'm very excited to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, this listener has requested to be anonymous, and so I am calling them K. Diddy. Uh, K. Diddy asks the following. I would love to hear specific advice on two of the tricky aspects of my divorce. I'm divorcing an attorney, grimacing emoji face litigation. He lives in another state. He wants 50-50. There is no state or court official to determine parenting time. How can I develop a schedule that is best for the child? His proposal of two weeks on and two weeks off seems untenable in the long run. Thank you. Really enjoy the podcast. Either aspect would be great to hear more on. I have a good attorney, but I'd like to hear others' thoughts. Two weeks on, two weeks off, living in another state. Unless that state, that city is Kansas City, I think everything is ridiculous about two weeks on, two weeks off, uh, traveling state to state. That makes the kids crazy. First off, divorcing a litigation attorney is a wise move. Let's get that <laughs> out. So first off, you're all off to a good start here. Okay. Okay. Now, regarding the kids, people get hung up on this 50-50 stuff. I hate to break it to you. You're not getting 50-50 in the year because there's an odd number of days in the year. So let's try to get away from this 50-50. What we want out of a parenting plan is enough quality time with our children so we can form bonds and relationships and be there for them in good times and bad so that when they're 11 and 13, they come to you. And when they're 21 and 23 or 31 and 33, you got to play the long game. Now, if someone's just hell-bent, on 50-50 and the kids are in school, there's ways that you can do that. The kind of derogatory term is like Disney dad. Mom has them during the school year. Dad gets them for vacations, more in the summer, spring break, long weekends. So you're doing all the heavy lifting with the school. 
You'll get more rewards out of that because that's important, but it's not the necessarily all the great quality time when you're taking vacations. So depending on how far you live, two weeks on, two weeks off does not work if you live too far apart in a different state because the kids can't go to school. It just doesn't yeah. work, right? So think about extra time, and I'm putting extra in quotes, but time for dad over spring break. Think about the w- summer's 10 weeks. Maybe they get seven, you get three. Maybe they get long weekends, but they have to come to your location so they can see the kids in their extracurriculars on the weekends. There's all different ways to divide up 50-50. And I make light of this. I don't know the age of these children, so it's hard to tell. But if there's a kid that's six years old, we've got 12 years left. We could do 50-50. Mom gets them for the next six years. Dad gets them for the following six years. No one wants to do that. That's not what we're talking about. But that's why I think the term 50-50 just throws people off. Because that's not what people want. Because you're not going to go six years without seeing your kid. Just go, you can get them six years after. Right. So we got to really just think through this plan. So I would come up with creative plans, be flexible in the schedule, see if dad can get time in your jurisdiction so he could see what kids are doing on the weekends um, and, and try to add in some extra holiday time. Do you ever, do you ever split by minute? Because, you know, there is an even split if you split up the year by minute. Pete, I've been doing this a long time. I've never thought of that. 262,800 minutes. Um, I'm with you. That makes 50-50 time parent share. Okay. You know it. You okay. know it. You can it's, sing along. We've got can... a song. Welcome to Toaster the Musical, everybody. We're really, <laughs> really glad you're here. Uh, bringing innovative ways to sing and dance your way through court. Right. Good idea. I'm not going to approach that in court. <laughs> <laughs> you literally heard it here first. Right. I'm very excited about that. But these are tough well, decisions because people get locked in, right? I'm not making light of the question. It's a great question. Yeah. Now, listen, let me just tell you one other thing. Okay, you're divorcing a lawyer and they're a litigator. Here's the bottom line. If they're representing themselves, the saying goes, they have a fool for a client. You're not outmatched just because they know what a request for admissions is or an interrogatory is. Okay? Lawyers inevitably are horrible in court in witnesses so listen to your lawyer i hope you have a good one we've had some podcasts listen back on how to interview your lawyers ways to prepare for mediation what to do to prepare for testimony and trial run those topics by your lawyer and and see if they agree on those approaches absolutely thank you k diddy for writing in we sure appreciate you uh, uh spending the time to pen the paragraph don't forget either seth's advice or 262,800 minutes. I want to shift here just for a moment, Sabrina. Sure. There's a lot of these people out here listening that are like, oh my God, thank God. It's not this bad. We're just not getting along. We've drifted apart. I'm not dealing with any of these issues. And I've, I've had listeners reach out to me that I know and say, Seth, sometimes I'm like thankful. Like, man, my divorce wasn't that bad. But we all have friends that maybe we lose touch with because they're dating someone new. So, so what can the listener out there that's not the abuser, that's not the abused, that's a friend, but they've got some concerns. 
how can they help? Definitely listening, because usually victims are told, you know, leave. Why don't you just leave? Why are you in the relationship? And you don't intend it to be blaming, but in a way it is kind of blaming. So I like to tell people, listen, just really listen. Uh, listen to their whatever it is that they have to say and let them know, look, if you're not ready to talk right now, we can talk in a week, we could talk in a month, we could talk in a couple of days. Let it be okay if they don't want to talk right then and there. And, and on that point, Sabrina, if you're the friend that, hey, we used to get together all the time and now I'm not hearing from them, check your fucking ego and put it aside <laughs> because it might not have to be about you. Your friend that really cared for you and used to call all the time and you used to call and now she's not calling back or texting, she might be in trouble. Right, right. So you can say, hey, haven't seen you, would love to see you. Is everything okay? You can ask a question, right? It doesn't have to be about your relationship and who called last and why are you ghosting me? Well, maybe there's a problem. Maybe there's not. Maybe the, she just doesn't like you anymore. Maybe he doesn't like hanging out with you anymore. Maybe they're too busy at work. But but speaking of friends, like, is there an action you can take as the friend? Like, should do you ever, you know, counsel any either of you actually ever counsel anybody to yeah call the authorities for your on behalf of your friend? Is that a thing that's a useful thing to do for people listening? I, I've told that to friends. Like, look, man, you're in trouble. I I have a friend that suffered from abuse from more than one person he was dating women would abuse him and i would be there to support if you wanted to talk about it i would say do you want unsolicited advice that would be my lead-in if he said no i wouldn't give it right right if he said yeah i'd like okay here's what i think and and it's tough it's tough there's a lot of stuff that goes on to get yourself in this situation that you might never never had control over. It's not your fault. Maybe you watched abuse when you were a child. Maybe you were abused as a child. Maybe you were having a rough patch and a low self-esteem and someone kind of took advantage of you. There's a lot of stuff going on there that you're going to have to ultimately work through to protect yourself from abusers. But your friends are out there. You got to reach out, which is hard. It's especially hard when you're in the thick of it. So if your friend out there and you haven't heard from someone and there's been a shift, you see some changes, something's happening and your own spidey sense goes up, maybe just reach out as a friend and say, hey, I haven't heard from you while. Are you okay? Maybe that helps. Maybe it doesn't. Sabrina, is that a good question to ask? Definitely. And I, I would say to suggest, please see a therapist, you know, please see a therapist. Here are some phone numbers. Here are some some email address, some websites, at least give it to him or her. And that way they could, they could kind of search on their own and, and, and consider it. And because a therapist is a completely third party and maybe they could get them to open their eyes that a friend or a family member that's looking to intervene can't get through. But a third party, a, someone who's a professional, um, can get them to open their eyes and say, wow, what do you mean he pulled your hair? Or what do you mean that she humiliated you at that party and called you uh, all of these names? 
that's abuse. Right. But on that point, if you happen to tell your spouse or they find out that you're going to therapy, they're not going to like it. They're going to be losing control. So that therapist is for you. You don't have to go there and tell everything that happened. If they don't like the fact that you're going and you're trying to improve yourself, that's another sign. So, you know, you got to take care of yourself. You lie. You don't say that you're, you know, you lie. You say, I'm, I'm at work late. Um, no, but what I'm whatever. saying is when they well, find out, they look at your phone. Oh, I see you at a therapy appointment. They followed you, whatever they did. But my point is, if you're going to get help, if you're going to reach out to others, they tend to try to isolate you. And so they're not oh, going to yes. necessarily like that. And when they point that out, that's another sign to you. Hey, this is a problem. Right. Oh, definitely. Definitely. You know what, Sabrina, I, I would love you had started telling us a little bit about what you do as we get close to wrapping up here. Give us just briefly the, the pitch on the trainings that you do to help people feel safe in their homes and, and work. What we are introducing into the real estate industry, as I as I mentioned, are also safe certifications. And that is uh, for landlords and tenants right now. We're looking to have this propagated over all residency because if you think about it, everything happens or begins in the home. So if we make a concerted effort to make homes safe, I think a lot of other problems will dissipate. And we're saying, Mr. and Miss Landlord, hire us. Get We'll get your property also safe certified. They purchase the Oso Safe Home Sweet Home package. And in this package, it consists of a policy, a seminar, an app, and therapists assigned to the property. So the, po- the policy basically states that, uh, every- and everybody signs the policy, all of the, all of the residents, if you will. Uh, and you know, going into that property that, wow, I'm held to a higher regard, a higher standard. If I act abusively, I'm out. I get evicted, me the abuser only. That's the policy. The seminar, everybody gets educated on facts, statistics, warning signs, definitions of abuse, what constitutes a good relationship. So that way you know what is a good relationship. You know the warning signs. So that way everybody's educated. The third component is an app. I hired a software company to design an app, and this is installed in the in 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 the building, if you will, in the residence. It will detect violent like movements and captures them in real time, issuing alerts to the landlord. So it doesn't it doesn't pick up documents, it doesn't pick up conversations. It picks up a punch, a slap, a hit, a kick, spitting, sexual assault. And it, it will issue alerts to the landlord. So it eliminates the he said, she said factor. Wow, I just saw you beat the crap out of her in my unit two. And you just beat the crap out of him in my unit 10. This is grounds for eviction. So that's the technology portion of the package. This is what we're introducing into the real estate industry. Making safety a required standard condition of residency, which is how it should be. And we will have links in the show notes. The website is ososafe.com, O-S-S-O, safe.com. And you can learn all about everything that Sabrina is doing. Sabrina, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. It's a tough subject. We appreciate your willingness to join us and share some of these 
harrowing statistics. Thank you so much, Seth and Pete. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. And thank you all for downloading and listening to this show. Don't forget, if you have a question, you can ask that question. Just visit howtosplitatoaster.com. Click on the button that says ask a question and submit that question to us. And we will answer it right here on the show. On behalf of Sabrina Oso and America's favorite divorce attorney, Seth Nelson, I'm Pete Wright, and we'll catch you next week right here on How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships. Seth Nelson is an attorney with NLG Divorce and Family Law with offices in Tampa, Florida. While we may be discussing family law topics, How to Split a Toaster is not intended to, nor is it providing legal advice. Every situation is different. If you have specific questions regarding your situation, please seek your own legal counsel with an attorney licensed to practice law in your jurisdiction. Pete Wright is not an attorney or employee of NLG Divorce and Family Law. Seth Nelson is licensed to practice law in Florida.